in yeah. here, Utah. Um, no, you, your state is worse than you think it is. This I go around this country telling people that Utah is the fakest red state, and I mean it. I've visited a lot of red states, a lot of blue states, and a lot of purple states. The best fights in the purple ones. The blue, the fighters in the blue states are an inspiration to all of us to be backing them up. But these red states will get very sleepy, very complacent. I'm talking Idaho. I'm talking Tennessee. I'm talking Florida to a degree. I'm talking Oklahoma. Everybody claims they're the reddest state. Utah claims it's the reddest state, and I'll tell you, you're way too asleep. It is much worse and much more important in Utah than you know. Your politicians are not doing you right, and it's time for you to start getting really clear and time to speak up, time to get organized, get smart, understand the issues, and and get off the couch and show up. And then don't get discouraged. Don't quit. They're going to come after you. They're not going to like it. They're not going to give you an inch of ground back. So don't quit. They're going to make you feel like, oh, well, I can't do anything about it. No, you've got to do something about it. We're talking about our kids. We're talking about your grandkids. You're talking about the future of the country. You're talking about um, watching them fall into possibly permanent digital slavery, which I can't imagine anybody wanting. And Utah happens to be very unfortunately, for whatever set of reasons, the place where it's supposed to start. So a lot falls on you. A lot is asked of you. Uh, but I also think having met many of you now and seen what you're made of here, I think you're actually there for the challenge. And welcome to We Are The People Radio. This is your host, Jason Preston, and my lovely co-host, Alexia. How you doing today, beautiful? Doing fantastic. Gosh, I love those glasses. Oh, like one rule. <laughs> They're awesome. I love them. Thank They're you. They're very 70s-esque. Yes. Well, it helps me fight crime. Yes, you look like you're like ready for business. All right. <laughs> hey, we got an amazing show. Uh, actually, this is the biggest. We've had some incredible shows, but this one's the biggest. We have... This is someone we've been excited for since the beginning to get on our show. And uh, Alexia, why don't you welcome him then? And after you welcome our guest, then we'll, we'll uh, give all of our little, you know, tidbits of news. But let's uh, welcome our guest. All right. Well, with that said, it's really a man that needs no introduction. No, he doesn't. Yeah. He's a rock star. Yeah. Uh, you may have seen him on pretty much any podcast, any conservative podcast, I should say. Jordan Peterson, Joe Rogan, Absolutely. Ben Shapiro. I think you rose to fame for your research papers. Um, I got a little bit of an eye roll on that one, um, <laughs> which I, I guess Wikipedia likes to call your grievance, your grievance study papers. And I'm just going to make some stuff up as we go along. So yeah, the, gr- the grievance studies affair, is that a Wikipedia uh, term for it or is that a no, real term? That's the real term for it. That's the real term yeah. for it, um, where you did some fake hoax research papers that's right submitted them and then like typical academia yeah like, so we had to show that academia is full of fraud so we wrote a whole bunch of fake academic articles made them as ridiculous and stupid as we possibly could funny scary for you know terrifying whatever you want and we submitted them to high-ranking journals we actually wrote 20 of them and the, by the time we ended up the the wall street journal caught us and we had to stop early We'd had seven of them accepted for publication, including one that was a rewrite of a chapter of Hitler's Mein Kampf as feminism. So we made Rush Limbaugh's old joke about feminazis come true. 
and they accepted it in a social work journal. And then we had some, some other ones. We had seven accepted. One of them won an award for excellence and scholarship. So we really just showed that the peer review process in academia was is as corrupt as the peers involved, and therefore that there's a huge political corruption problem in, in the stuff academia produces. So when they say there's a study that proves whatever they want to run, how do you know it's true? Well, I think my dog found personal offense with your rape culture in dog park. Yeah, well, that was, that's the one that won the award. So, yeah. yeah, we said that the best way to study rape culture is to study canine rape culture in dog parks and see how people react to it. And so we said that we went and examined 10,000 dogs and their genitals to find out if men or women responded differently to, to whether it was straight or, or homosexual dog rape. And then the punchline was, so what we need to do then is therefore train men the way that we train dogs, and that'll end rape culture. And so, you know, leashes, shot collars, obedience manuals, that kind of stuff. And for real, and this was like an important, you know, this was considered a, uh, a, a, a exemplary piece of scholarship, top journal in the field of feminist geography. And uh, it was a big deal. Yeah, so. Well, my dog still claims it was consensual, so. Well, that's actually, the peer reviewer said that because we're not dogs, we don't know when it is and when it is not. So we had to include a disclaimer in the paper it says, as a human and not a dog, we're not quite sure when it's consensual and when it's not. So, you know, we had to call them dog humping incidents instead of yes. dog rape. Well, what I find most fascinating about you is you actually started uh, as a leftist mm -hmm. uh, professor and classically went through the whole system. Yeah. And came out indoctrinated on the other end and, and still found the light. Well, yeah, the woke stuff really never jived with me. I always thought that that was really crazy. And the fact that they were like silencing, you know, they're like, well, we have to listen to everybody's story. Then there's all these stories they wouldn't listen to, you know, they didn't want to hear it. So I realized there was some kind of bias. I never jived with that side of stuff. I just thought, well, you know, taxes are okay. And, you know, the kind of stupid old school Democrat stuff, right? And then this woke stuff really woke me up. And said, this is actually, I said, this is a genocide in the making. And if we don't speak up about it, we're going to lose our country. So I asked my wife, can I quit my job, dedicate my life full time to studying this? She's like, you've lost your marbles. And then she was more practical. She said, can you make money doing that? I said, I don't know. We'll find out. So here we are. The answer was yes, I can. And we got the plane off the ground and been exposing it ever since. Well, you've welcomed to the capital of woke of America, Utah. And you'd never expect it to be, though. Right. No, it's up there, though. You would think, oh, it's Massachusetts. Real bad. Vermont. Real bad. California, Washington, Oregon. That's like one unistate of terrible minnesota surprisingly bad illinois you think well the problem is that utah is the fakest red state in the nation i told i told you in the car i say that everywhere i go it's the fakest red state in the nation well we are going to be jumping into utah with uh, one of the greatest minds literally in, in in the world and so honestly for utah what a blessing to have you here james so uh without before we get started uh, please make sure you're following us on all our social media. Um, YouTube's been continues to do mess with our algorithms, taking videos down. So you can find us on We Are the People UT on Rumble. All of our podcast channels uh, are We Are the People UT, including Instagram. The only thing that's different is Twitter, which is We Are the UT. So make sure you're following us there. And uh, this episode is brought to you by Silverhawk Enterprises. Um, if the most incredible, beautiful homes hands down in the state and uh, not only do they build incredible homes but i appreciate any company that is committed to giving back and fighting for freedom and helping expose corruption and you know the thing that i think alexi and i really understand and i think a lot of people are starting to realize is you know when you look at america i mean the corruption is getting out of control and i really think dc is turning into a clown show 
Yeah. It is literally just a circus. And I think the only way we're going to get this country back is by people turning around and starting to focus on taking their own territory, which is your backyard back. And uh, when it comes to Utah, you know, we have got a state that needs cleaning up. So we're grateful to have, you know, James here. And uh, I think before we do, we want to, uh, let's, uh, Alexa, you want to make Pose a note of our new energy drink? Let's yes. take a hit. Tell us about that. I, I'm loving this new tradition because there is a lot to cheers to. We have a lot of darkness, but we also have a lot of light. Uh, and I think having James here help us expose and discuss what's going on, not just nationally and globally, but locally here, I think, uh, I think that will be really helpful for people to understand this all is not well in Zion. So, but there is hope. But there is hope. No, so we're going to win this thing. And that's what I will cheers to. So, uh, again, you can find our Patriot Powder on our website. Uh, this is our new delicious flavor, Red Pill Watermelon. That's a great flavor. It's delicious. And <laughs> it is a great energy drink. You can take really any time of the day to turn your brain on and maybe the rest of you too. I don't That's know. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. James Lindsay, good James. to have you. We're glad to have you. Cheers. All right. What do you think of that? It's like watermelon. There you go. I mean, it actually tastes legit like watermelon. Good, like right? a red pill watermelon. Yeah. You've already been red pilled though. So. Well, I took a couple. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, let's jump into it. So one of the things we were talking about is, um, let, let's start with it with this. When you think of Utah, tell us, as, as you've come to understand Utah, what sticks out to you about Utah? Like, um, what, what kind of, what's kind of been your impression as you've the more you've dug into utah tell us your thoughts on on your because experience you've, been you've spending had a lot of time here lately mm -hmm. so. i have been here a number of times actually um seven or eight times i think i've been to utah now so getting to be a friend of the state or the state's being a bit of a friend to me first of all i will say that the people here are extraordinary they're very welcoming they're very kind and i mean that in the good sense but we'll have to talk about the other side of that too uh, it's a genuinely warm and welcoming state to come Absolutely. to. It's, of course, beautiful geographically. Uh, natural beauty is off the charts. Um, what I found is that the politics in Utah are ugly, though. Yeah. Real ugly. Like, you would think not real ugly. I thought re not real Did it surprise you? Shocked me. Shocked me, absolutely. I came out here thinking, well, this is a strong conservative bastion, you know, blah, blah, blah. Start talking to people, start listening to what's going on with the politics, and there's just how is this possible right. here? Just, it utterly floored me that, uh, I mean, I went home after the, I, literally the first time I came out here, first of all, the first time I came out here, I went to Ogden and they to showed me all the history. I went to the Browning building. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. We didn't get out to the, to the golden spike, but we talked about it. We saw the Al Capone thing and the tunnels and the union station. I was like, America is so cool. Yeah. And it was actually Ogden, Utah that made me think there should be like tours. People take the America is cool tours. where We just tell this history, these little towns and, you know, cities up these interstate corridors, I-15 or whatever, is that what it is here? And so, or is it 35? I don't oh, remember. 15, you're 15, right. Yeah, okay. So um, there was a lot of real positivity there, but then I started talking about the politics and I was like, what is going on? And I went home and I just kind of told my wife, I was just like, we just got to cross Utah off the list. All they got is the ability to organize really well, mm -hmm. but their politics are so cat cat catastrophic that I can't put, like, where am I going to put my energy? Like Oklahoma's got some stuff going on. Idaho's got some stuff going on. I can get a lot of fight in California, but Utah's messed up. And it was it was really sad. I mean, I was so excited about the state, first time I'd ever been out here. Then I go home and I'm like, it's just the politics are just so messed up here. You know, one of the things that's interesting is, uh, my wife grew up in New York City, then Miami, and, and then we came here together. And 
obviously very politically fired up, and I was so excited to bring her out here in 2017. I mean, this is the one state that the, the predominant religion believes the Constitution is literally inspired by God. It is in, yeah. it is in their scripture about that, that Constitution being an inspired document. Yeah. Um, and historically, the, uh, the leadership of the church in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s, would, would, you know, before the UN and when the UN came out, they, they slammed it. They said it was a satanic organization. That it would, They slammed communism, said it was satanic. And, and I mean, they were so, so fiery for freedom. I mean, this is the one state that I would say in, in the, you know, before the, you know, 80s, 90s was if there was one state that bled red, white, and blue, it was Utah. Yeah, well, um, they, they were right about the United Nations, that's for sure, uh, back in the day. I don't know what's happened since, but it's like, for example, you know, you have this governor, you know, he used his pronouns, it's turned into like a national punchline. I tried to help popularize that when it happened. Thank you, keep doing it. Yeah. Governor Spencer Cox, he, him. I don't want to get those confused. You don't want to, you might not be a you he, You can't day. tell sometimes. But, but, <laughs> but we were watching that. You showed me a video of him earlier today, and we were watching it. And what I, told, I told you, my first reaction, if I didn't know who it was, of Let's, course can, I, can we play that video? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hi, I'm Spencer Cox, governor of Utah and chairman of the National Governors Association. You and I probably disagree on a few things, and that's okay. It's actually good for us. But it's way too easy to let our differences become toxic. Our country is deeply divided, and most Americans are tired of the division. Disagreeing better, not disagreeing less, is the answer. When we engage in healthy, honest dialogue, we avoid demonizing others, and we're more likely to find solutions. And I'm not just talking about civility. Being nicer is important, but I'm talking about learning the right kind of conflict. Instead of calling names, be curious. Listen more. Attack ideas, not people. Treating each other with respect and dignity instead of contempt can be hard. And I don't always get it right. But over the next year, I'm hoping we can work together to do better. Democrats and Republicans, liberals, conservatives, and everything in between. Please join us. And remember, nothing is less American than hating our fellow Americans. But harnessing our differences to get things done, that's as American as it gets. So, Taya, that's... Uh, so, this has been part of a, a PR cleanup mission pretty much ever since you had the run in. Do, do you think that's what it was or do you think that's part of a bigger thing? I think it's part of a bigger thing. I think it's both. What, what do you think? What, what, she, what stuck out to you about the video? Why, why'd you bring that up? Well, yeah, the first thing I thought, if I didn't know who Spencer Cox was, so I do, but I just tried to go, like, let's just watch this, see what's, what's there. The first thing I thought was, who's this Democrat? From watching that video? Just the, the video. Oh, we have to be more civil. You know, let's not demonize each other. We have to engage better. And then we go back, just what we were just talking about a minute ago, when, you know, 70s, 80s, whatever, with the, with the LDS church saying that the United Nations is a satanic organization. Okay, and I say, well, they had that right. What are you going to do if, say, subversive infiltrators from the United Nations are coming to your state and trying to make deals? Are you going to let's, you can be polite and professional and, yeah, civil with them while they're here in person, 
But are you going to sit down and have a dialogue and let them be subversive and let them start infiltrating? Hey, let's give you an office. Let's get you set up here. Let's be real generous to you with, you know, time. And no, of course you wouldn't. If you genuinely thought, like, let's take the United Nations out of it. If you genuinely thought it was a all out satanic organization that you know that their agenda is to be subversive, you cannot do that with a subversive agenda because what it's doing is using that claim to niceness, that claim to civility, the better dialogue, the hear me out, bro, kind of vibe yeah. to bring their ideas in where they should not be allowed in. It's not a matter when you're dealing with something that's subversive. It's not a matter of an actual dialogue. The point, if I was going to be subversive, is to seduce you into buying a little bit of whatever I'm selling. And now you've got, I've got you hooked a little bit. And then I try to get you to take another step and another step. And maybe you take one step at a time. But before you know it, you've walked five miles down the road and you don't know how you got there. It reminds me of uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, one of his speeches where he talks about peace and war, about uh, how you have peace, but at, at what price? You know, there, there's, you know, the, 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 about giving in and giving in and giving in. He says pretty soon you, you appease and you appease and appease, and pretty soon you, you're, you know, at what point do you draw the line? Yeah, and it would, at that point, the more you've appeased also at that point, the more conflict is going to arrive when you finally say, wait a minute, this is where we have to stop. And I think this is an experience that everybody in, in the country, but certainly Utah, is going to relate to with just, for example, the, the creep over the last year, year and a half of the drag queen phenomenon. First, you got these guys dressed up pretty modestly for all things considered, lots of makeup and big hair and a shiny dress or whatever, but a very modest dress, reading storybooks. The next thing you know, the dress is a little less modest. The next thing you know, it's like, getting more and more sexual and I don't have to get graphic because everybody saw it all over the country. Yeah. And the so, next thing you know, you have performers named anal leakage at the BYU campus. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> it gets worse and worse and worse. This is actually a strategy in their guidebook. They have a guidebook. Everybody's heard of, maybe everybody hasn't, but most people have heard of rules for radicals. There's an updated Saul guidebook. Yeah. Saul Alinsky wrote that, which by the way, if you didn't know, he dedicated that book to Lucifer, Aiden. Yeah. literally dedicated it to him. Well, there's an updated version of that book. It's available online. It's free. It's called Beautiful Trouble. Beautifultrouble.org is the website. You can read the whole book for free online. You don't have to like buy anything. And it has all their strategies. It has all their, their, their goals. And one of them is escalate strategically. So you start with a little bit and you make it, you, you take them to one step and they accept the one step. You take them a second step. They accept the second step. And like I said, before they know it, they're five miles down the road. And then when you say, whoa, you know, anal leakage at BYU, that's a bridge too far. We're done. Back up the truck. They're like, you're transphobic. They throw a giant fit. It turns into this huge mess. And now you've got a year and a half, or maybe if it's the United Nations, 30 years, 50 years of letting that in. And all of a sudden that's not legitimate anymore. And you've got to fight, fight its way back out. And they throw a giant fit. They're not going to give an inch of ground back. So you've given away miles and miles of ground and they're not going to give it back. And so the conflict is going to get worse. So this video with Spencer, what I hear he, him, what I hear <laughs> him doing is saying, I, I'm a very, I, f I feel like he's a very subversive entity personally, having watched a little bit of his stuff, seen what he's done, this governor's association he's a part of as a captured organization, in my opinion. And so he's subverting Utah step by step by step by step. And now he's getting called so on tell, it. Tell our listeners who aren't familiar with subversion. Tell us what you mean by that subverting Utah. So subversion is where you're going to come in get inside an organization and what you do is you twist the values just a little bit. 
you don't throw the values out. You don't say, well, you know, we have these values, say, from the Bible, right? Love thy neighbor. That's a very, very big picture value that most Americans actually right. accept, right? Well, all of a sudden, you don't come in and you say, we're not going to love our neighbor anymore. That's not subversion. What you're going to say is, well, did you know when they say love thy neighbor, here's what it really means. You know, you think it means this, tell them the truth, love them, go kindly, but be real with them so they don't step into, say, enablement or, you know, you're not being too kind to somebody who's on heroin is not actually helping them. You've got to tell them the truth at some point. You got to throw the cold water on their face. Well, it's coming in and saying, well, maybe what loving your neighbor means is wearing a mask. Maybe wearing loving your neighbor means stay home and don't visit your parents in case you get them sick. So you take the value and you change the meaning of the value a little bit. And then when everybody kind of settles into this new meaning, you twist it a little further and you twist it a little further and you twist it a little further. That's in fact what the video is doing explicitly. Hey, we have a value here in Utah of niceness, of kindness. Let's be kind, right? That's a thing. Or, here. or not be contentious. That's the big yeah. thing right now is we don't want to be contentious. Yeah, we're going to be like, let's not, not be just even civil. We're going to disagree better. Mm. It's going to make us better people. So what that means is don't call me out. But that's not what it means. That's a subverted meaning. So subversion means that you're going to take the values and you're going to twist them a little bit at a time so that the people that hold those values will hold to their values, but are starting to do the wrong thing. There's actually like a biblical thing about this with the bent rod, right? So, and how do you tell when a bent rod is bent? You have to have a, have a true rod, a straight rod. And so what they're doing is making you lose sight of the true rod and slowly twisting your values so they take you off in the wrong direction. That's subversion. Do you think that's what's happened? Because when you think of Utah, where it was back in this, you know, from statehood, um, <clears throat> up until the, you know, sometime in the, sometime in the eighties, you saw things change, uh, from going from a state that would, would, was so fiercely patriotic, uh, so fiercely grounded in, in those values to becoming now a state where we had John Christ here, the comedian, uh, he, he put a post on Instagram and we put it on our Instagram page talking about, he actually called Utah. He says, he says, Utah, what is up? Like has any state get, you know, thrown down their guards so easy as Utah. Like he says, what state is there who went from like standing up against liquor, standing up on up for these morals to like throwing the doors wide open and just saying, to, you know, just take the whole state talking about the LGBT flags all over the state, which is funny because we're from coming from Florida and we've got some of our friends from Florida here in the studio with us. Ironically, we go down to Florida and we're there the first day of June and the first day of pride month walking around uh, miracle mile. There's no gay flags anywhere. Yeah. And John Chris is making a point of that here in Utah. Like, how did you go from the state from where you were to being so, I mean, pride flags, trans flags everywhere. And it, so it sounds like you're, what you're saying is that's subversion. Yeah. We, well, if someone, someone has come in and subverted Utah, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that's right. And it's probably happened from without, but also in partnerships with people from within, the corruption we were talking about before. The thing is, first of all, I'll mention the first time I did come to Utah, uh, Ogden, the whole story with the, oh, wow, the history of the Browning Bill. Oh, yeah, the whole thing. I was a little taken aback by how many flags there were flying everywhere. It's like every other business, especially when I got, we drove around and went to lunch here down in Salt Lake. And I was like, what? Why? Utah? Really? And, and, and it's because they say, well, we want to be sure that we're welcoming. Well, well that's right. That's right. It's the subversion of love thy neighbor. It, it is. Yes. That's exactly what it is. So this is a state that I can tell you from every interaction I've had with a person in this state so far, every single Good. one is that this is a values driven state. This is a state that's rooted in values, rooted in morals, rooted in family. Root, it's deep, deep, deep. You can tell when you're here. It's a I go to all the states, actually not quite. I've been to 42 of them. 
and there's a different vibe in every state for sure. And that is unmistakable here in Utah. And so the only way that state could have got from there to here is if those values got turned against them and subverted like that. And it is, it's a, it's a perversion of love thy neighbor. And by the way, it's Maoist. If you don't know that this is Maoist, Mao had a formula that he used to transform China. That formula was unity, criticism, unity. We're going to start, he said, with a desire for unity. Then we'll teach people the real basis for right and wrong through criticism and struggle. So we'll tell people that they're not living up to the, to, to the expectations. And then we can arrive, he said, at a new unity on a new basis. And we'll have a new unified uh, culture under a new standard that's higher and, and better and, you know, whatever. And so what he would do is he would, he would literally, if we translate that into the language of today, is he just wants to make a state where everybody feels like they're included. Just wants everybody to feel like they belong. That's it's very important that everybody's welcome. But the problem is, Jason, is people like you. You have attitudes that make it so some people can't feel welcome. You're systemically racist. You're systemically homophobic. Mean, you're mean is the word they use for us. Mean for yeah. <laughs> you guys are mean. It's good for your brand, you know, or whatever, as the governor said. So he him. Uh, it's it's like the Muslim thing, like peace be upon him. But it's he him for for Spencer Cox. And every time you say his name, so. Uh, what they've done though is they've it, there's people who in this state are a problem they aren't welcoming they aren't loving they don't allow people to feel like they belong and their values have kind of gotten the way so the values must have been misinterpreted let's give you a new interpretation of those an inch by inch by inch by inch the next thing you know they flip the thing over you know you're talking uh, about all of this and, and all i can think about is is the flag the utah state flag and i know you've been following that as well i have and that is the exact argument that they used uh for why we needed to change the flag the yeah. flag wasn't inclusive the flag didn't it offended people it, it was uh offensive to the tribes it didn't capture it wasn't simple enough it's not it, simple enough apparently yeah. it needs to be drawn by a fifth grader like in a, order like to a be child yeah what's your right. thoughts on the flag well i mean they're erasing history is what they're doing right. they're erasing history they're giving a very simple uncomplicated you know I would call it Soviet realism or socialist realism if I, if, if I was in the Soviet Union or whatever. New emblem. And this is now, by the way, if I don't know if you know that it's not just a Utah thing. This mm -hmm. is now spreading like a, like a cancer to other states. So Pennsylvania's flag is too complicated and, you know, shows imagery that is, you know, historically, you know, inappropriate and it might make people feel unwelcome, blah, blah, blah. So now they're trying to change the Pennsylvania flag. And they're going to go state by state by state and give them all new flags. Well, new flag, new symbol, new banner. The ba the flag is a banner. It's the thing you follow in a sense. It's the thing that it's supposed to symbolize who you are. And so ideally it's going to have some culture behind it. Well, they're changing the flags. So we're going to have a new standard that we follow. And there will be a new unity on a new basis under a new standard. And you can kind of see the same program. Uh, it's like they in China, they've changed street names. People changed their names. You know, we got with the trans, people changed their name, and then it's called a dead name, and you can never say it again. In China, they did this in, in under Mao. They took on revolutionary names. They would reject their father's name, take on a revolutionary name, and if anybody called them by their old name, they would throw a giant fit and get violent and whatever else. It's the exact same dynamic. Well, the flag is, a, is just another symbol. It's like when they change the names of streets, well, changing the flag is another symbol. Now you got this new flag. Well, let's talk about what it means. We're going to put new meaning in the new symbol. And this represents a new Utah with new values. And those values are the old values subverted oh. into the new program. And we kind are, of, Alexia brings up the point. Go ahead. You, no, go ahead. Alexia always brings up the point is when you capture a nation, the first thing you do is you bring down the flag and you put up a new flag. Oh, of course. And when you look at uh, the United Nations relationships with Utah, I find it fascinating that the only place the United Nations meets 
outside of New York City in, in America is Utah. And when they first came here, they set up at the Salt Palace and then they just never left. No. Uh, fast forward to just a few months ago, they're meeting with the church leaders here. So flashing back to what you were saying earlier, where they, the church was calling the UN evil 40 plus years ago, we're now literally inviting them in the doors. Yeah, welcoming them in. Um, the World Economic Forum is in bed with, in, is deep in Utah. So it just feels like we've been so encaptured by these, all, we're more of, we're, we're, we're turning such a globalist state well, that's and why they me, call that's this place. What I see. Go ahead. Yeah, that's why they call this place the cradle of the fourth industrial revolution. Um, talk, talk, talk to our listeners about that because we we've done a show on that. I'm sure our listeners have seen, but what is what does that mean to you? And and tell me your, tell us your thoughts on 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 uh, or your concerns about that. Okay, so the cradle part's easy to understand. That's where this is where it's not necessarily going to be born, but it's going to be where it's raised here in the United States. So Utah's going to be the cradle. This is where we're going to take the baby of the fourth industrial revolution, put it, and bring it. You know take care of it and let it grow into what it's going to become. So to understand the fourth industrial revolution, we got to understand all the industrial revolutions. Cause the first one, second one, third one, fourth one. Okay. So what was the first industrial revolution? That was like what we really think of as the industrial steam it's engine. Yeah. Steam engine and machinery. So all of a sudden travel, building things, making things, manufacturing all transforms big time. So the world changes, labor changes. The second industrial revolution, what was that was electrification, right? So now you have electric grids, life changes completely because electric power is extremely useful power. It can very easily be converted into mechanical energy or other forms. So all of a sudden you transform people's access to energy. Their lives are, the are world. completely different. But what's the third one? The digital Internet. revolution, right? So we now we have computers. And so it completely transforms the working environment. Things are so much faster, so much more efficient, especially communications are so much faster and efficient. Okay, so what's this fourth industrial revolution? And it's the internet. Right. Okay. So, but the thing is, and this is is, what, is, is the fourth industrial internet. Is the fourth industrial would be is that more AI and in in, in, in the in putting the internet in, into that's people. what yeah that's where oh, we're go, going. Go ahead. So the first three revolutions have something that in common, which is that they changed our external environment. But Klaus Schwab said that the difference is that the four and that, that description of the three that I, four I just gave was actually Klaus's. I've borrowed it from Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum. And he says the difference is that the first three industrial revolutions changed the world around us. The fourth industrial revolution changes you. So it goes yeah, from the internet to the internet of things. So now you have to have like your vacuum cleaners, like a little robot, and it's got the internet connection on it. Your heat in your house has an internet. Oh, you can use your phone so you can change the heat before you get home. Isn't that convenient? But you're, now your house can spy on you or they can shut it off remotely if they get hack into the system or just have control of the system. And then eventually it's your refrigerator, all the stuff, the internet of things. But then you start thinking about wearable devices. You start worrying about you know these cool watches. They tell you your heart rate. They tell you if your exercise recovery and all this different stuff. And I've got some creepy stories. I got a friend. And this is like the very beginning of the. Of, of the that's right. And eventually, it's happen. like chips in you, like a chip in your hand, a chip in your head. You know, Neuralink, whatever Elon Musk said he was working on these kind of things. And then we are all connected through the internet. We live in the internet, a kind of like ether world. And I say that really literally because if we look at kind of the weird. Um, ancient kind of heretical spiritual traditions that the, the level above the human is the etheric. And so it's weird that it's the, the ethernet is what they call the internet plug. So you're entering into this digital kind of spiritual disconnected from reality realm. Reality doesn't really matter. Like, you know, we're all attractive people, but in the internet, I can change my appearance every day. I can be an ogre. I can be, you know, a, a giant cow. I can be whatever I want. I can be an animal. I can be basically a, an avatar. I can be thing without a body. I can yeah. just be a spirit. I can be the diffuse. I, you have no limits. And it's like you're moving into that world. 
but that world is actually controlled by AI and the people who control AI. And we know who those people are largely going to be. The people who want to control the whole system are going to be the people at Davos and the United Nations and so on. So the world economic, or sorry, the fourth industrial revolution is a transformation of the entire system that we operate under, where we no longer think of ourselves as independent individuals who decide to do what we want and have agency. We are now a collective hive mind. We don't have free thought. We don't have freedom of belief. All of the things enshrined in the Constitution are not only um, not, not important, they're actually obsolete. They're, they're irrelevant. There is no thinking for yourself because everything you think is in conjunction yeah. with how everybody Noah, else thinks. How do you say his name? Noah Harashi? Or Noah Harari. Harari. Yeah. Where he talks about free will is over. He oh, says free that will is over. He says free will will be a thing of the past. Yeah. He says, humans are hackable animals. Yeah. yeah, yeah that is straight creepy, creepy. He guy. Says, you think you, you decide the food you want to eat. You think that you're going to decide what politician. He says those days are over. He says with, with the new, with, with the technology that's coming, we will be programmable. Oh yeah, and this uh, guy, this guy is a, a menace too because he'll tell you. And I don't know if you've ever heard this one. You probably have. You guys are really tapped in, but he says all this stuff like, "Oh, so you think maybe you get the rose-colored glasses on or the rose-colored rose like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, not hologram. Uh, VR, VR, yeah, virtual reality goggles on, and you're like, oh yeah, that'll be great. You know, that's gonna be awesome. Virtual travel." all this cool stuff, visual the, twin cities, yeah, all these cool things we can do. It's going to be cool. And then he tells you, by the way, we're building a digital Noah's Ark. Not everybody can go into the future. So we're going to figure out who the elect are, who get to go off on the Noah's Ark. And then what re awaits everybody else? Well, basically the equivalent of, I guess for him, a climate change flood or something that destroys the earth. Sorry, you weren't one of the, you know, 144,000 or whatever magic number he'll choose to get to go off into the digital paradise. So, yeah, so tell me your thoughts on that, because that's one of the things they talk about at the World Economic Forum is that um, with this new shift, you're going to have these super, super, super humans, but the masses, they says there are a lot of these people are there. He actually referred to them as, as useless eaters. The useless class uh, and useless eaters, that's right, in comparison to what they call themselves, the creative class, which is a pun. Creative, like, oh, I'm going to write a creative essay. I'm going to do a nice painting. I'm going to do creative work. Or I am a creator. Like, oh, I am the creator. No, no, they, they are very specific. They, well, they say we will have the... blasphemous, honestly. No, they actually say we will have the power of God. We will, That's we, right. We will control evolution. Well, you look no at... No longer will evolution happen. Evo we will control evolution. Yeah, like, like, uh, like breeding dogs. But it's people. And so what, what are his books, right? So his first book is Sapiens, right? So we're talking about Harari still. Big book, Barack Obama loved it. It was a huge bestseller, of course it was, because it's all propped up. Obama loves it, Sapiens. I read this book. I thought, God, this guy hates humans. He hates people. It's supposed to be this whole history of the hu whole human species. And it's like, this guy hates people. It's like every forest fire 70,000 years ago, somehow people were bad and they shouldn't have discovered fire. Prometheus, blah, 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 you know, it's really nasty. But then the second book tells you the whole thing. So that was the ancient history of humans, sapiens, up to the present day. So then he writes his second book is the future history of humans, the future history. And the title of the book is Homo Deus. So not Homo sapiens anymore. Now, God man, not wise man, God man. That's where we're going next, according to these guys at the World Economic Forum. And so when it says that Utah is the cradle of the fourth industrial revolution, what they mean is we're going to make this start to happen for the world in Utah. And we were talking a little bit before the show about uh, mm. essentially the degrowth. So I'm assuming yeah. that's part of the sapien projection of where, what's going to happen. Well, that's humans. where you've got your useless eaters and you've got your, your uh, creative class elect. 
The problem is, and this is their view, and the program is called Degrowth or Beyond Growth. It has different names. It's part of the net zero, or sometimes they go further and have this absolute zero agenda. Uh, but the idea is that we've been too productive and we're going to wear the earth out and there are too many useless eaters. And if we keep being productive, when we keep being successful, we're going to keep making babies, which is kind of a Mormon thing, right? So we're going to keep making too many children and we're going to exhaust the world's resources and then the ecosystems are going to collapse. And if we just pull all the varnish off of it, all the rich people who get to be kings of the world are now going to have a broken world. They don't get to have their you know nice lifestyles anymore because the stupid poor people screwed it up by having too many babies and having a middle-class life. And that's really their motivation. So the idea is that we've got to degrow our economies. We have to shrink our GDP. We have to stop using GDP as a measurement. It sounds like they got rid of the SAT in college or we're going to get rid of GDP next. So you don't know that the economy is getting worse because we're just not going to measure it anymore. Instead, they said we're going to measure in terms of well-being. While we shrink overall production, we're going to shrink consumption. Everybody's going to have to get content with and comfortable with less, a lower standard of living. This is explicit, direct Eating quotes. bugs. Eating bugs would be part of it. We're going to degrow our economy down to what they call a circular economy, a sustainable circular economy that's... Uh, what is a circular economy? Well, I don't know how crude I can be on your show, but I assume I can say whatever. For it. It's where Go you eat it. your own shit is what it is. Mm-hmm. Your your waste products are the the inputs for the next round of the cycle. That's a circular economy. Everything's perfectly recycled. But didn't Bill Gates actually talk about that? That's why I phrase it that way. But yeah. no, he didn't yeah. just talk about it. He made a video of himself. He's got his little cup of water, and he's like, this water was squeezed right out of poop. And he, like, right. drinks it and, like, <laughs> yuck. Well, we've even yeah. done shows about human composting because that's, you know. Oh, yeah. They're talking about that, too. Yeah. So, so degrowth is shrinking everything. But if there are fewer resources, and the problem is that there's too many useless eaters, it's probably going to mean that we're going to also degrow human populations as well. You know what's interesting? It feels like they're coming out and being so bold about this. You see, um, I'm sure our vis- uh, viewers have seen the video of Bill Gates talking about, uh, well, we can solve, <clears throat> the, you know, that we're growing so fast and we can solve, you know, the the population problem if we do a good job on vaccines and then you see um kamala harris uh i mean it's like i mean there's been several of these people come out and talk about just outright talking about uh, population control yeah well they've been i mean they've been talking about this a long time the the first major book i mean we're, if we don't talk about thomas malthus and go back to the source the first major, major book in terms of this was written in 1972. It's called Limits to Growth. It was published by this organization called the Club of Rome. So it doesn't have one author. It's written by a, a consortium of people. It's called the Club of Rome. And the Club of Rome is this like think tank thing. They got spun off. We could conjecture about who paid for it and who brought it into existence. Uh, but in 1972, they write this book called Limits to Growth. And that's exactly what I just explained. The idea is we're going to strip the world of its resources. The ecosystems are going to collapse. Our minerals are going to collapse. Human society is going to collapse. We aren't going to be able to have as many people on the planet. And there's going to be a mass dying. So we've got to stop that by reining in our growth, reining in how much we have, reining in how many people there are. And it was very explicit in 72. Well, Klaus Schwab invited those guys to come speak at the Davos meeting in 1973. So Davos, the, the World Economic Forum, which was called the European Management Forum at the time, was set up in 1971. Wow. In 1973, the second, well, I guess the third meeting they ever had, the big keynote speaker was the Limits to Growth guys, which you think, well, that's gone away. No, the, the Club of Rome is still openly, like they have a Twitter account. They're doing the whole, they're still out there. They're still pushing this. They've had like Limits to Growth 4.0 now because they've been wrong. They said we run out of copper in the year 2000 in the original book. Turns out we didn't run out of copper. Turns out we have lots of copper. Uh, that was Totally bogus. Well, they just keep updating it. It's kind of like, you know, um, 
the end times are coming, but you know, they're wrong about the year every single year that they predict. Right. Oh, it's next year. Oh, it's next year. Oh, it's next year. <clears throat> and so they've done this and then they've moved into a program that they're calling beyond growth and degrowth. They've coupled it to the idea of the first big agenda of the degrowth program is we've got to get down to zero emissions. And then there's an argument is that net zero emissions. So, you know, the amount that goes out, the amount that comes in is equal. Or is it absolute zero emissions? So we have no emissions. And this is a program that's sponsored by like Cambridge University, Oxford University, huge thing, huge program in, in, in the UK. And it, what are their predictions? What are we going to have to do actually to get to that? No flights, no commercial flights starting by 2030. Shrinking down to the where there's only like two or three airports in the next few years. Maybe I got the dates wrong. I mean, it's 2050 is no flights at all. Maybe 2030 is when they only have three airports in Great Britain. No cities that are connected by train will have flights between them. No regional flights at all. I looked into the statistics on this the other day, by the way. Regional flights account for 4% of the emissions that the aviation industry produces. And the aviation industry produces less than 3% of the total emissions. I don't even know if emissions matter. I don't think that they do. I think it's fake. But even if they did, we're talking about less than 3% come from aviation at all. And this is a major thing to destroy for them. And then less than 4% are regional flights. And that's the first thing they're canceling. It makes no sense at all. We're talking 0.12% of emissions come from the thing that they're attacking the hardest. This is just an excuse to steal our movement. Well, no flights, so no shipping by air for sure, but also no container shipping, no big boats. We got to get rid of the diesel powered boats, no big boats at all, no container shipping. If it can't be shipped by light rail, you can't have it. Well, a lot of populations in the world cannot work this way not possible reduce absolute total uh, emissions from automobiles and all land travel by 60 percent this is another one reduce uh, emissions caused by heating and cooling by 60 percent which therefore they actually in this document tell people go ahead and start buying warmer clothing now because we don't want you to freeze in the winter it's literally a non-workable plan so picture that in minnesota Picture that people are just going, imagine it's all electric and, and they can limit it and all that. And people are just going to die. Uh, this is a completely unworkable plan. I compare it to well, It's kind of like Humber, Hunger Games. It's, it's, You're well, going to have these people living exactly in these what it smart is. city districts while you have the elite living like high on the high. High on the high. Like, like we, the world is never imagined. And watching people compete for the extraordinarily <clears throat> limited resources, the imposed scarcity that they've put on. Hunger Games is, is basically an exact model for people to understand kind of what, what they're pointing toward. And Mao at least had the sense to have a great leap forward. His idea, which just devastated China and killed 100 million people, like no kidding, was the great leap forward. We're going to be the top of the world in steel production and food production. These people are like, no steel. That's what's in the document. No new steel at all. Zero. All recycled. I talked to a guy that does steel stuff, right? And I said, how good is, re I don't know how good recycled steel is. Like, can you recycle it to high quality? And they're like, no, you could basically, re if we took all the steel and we recycled it, the best quality steel, I don't know if this is true. I'm not a metallurgist. He told me would be like the quality of steel that was like 1870. You can't build high rises out of that. You can't build, you know, the kind of infrastructure underneath, you know, major structures with that. This is a zero new steel, zero new concrete was another, no concrete, no steel no shipping of food long distances and everything's going to be by rail. So no new steel, but lots of new rail, 
Like it doesn't doesn't add up. It, it does add up. So it adds up to destruction. Is all it adds up to. They're it still is trying to master just recycled straws, and I don't, I don't think we'll ever master that. <laughs> no. Go ahead, baby. But I'm just I'm bringing it back to Utah because we're talking about all these initiatives that we're trying to do globally. You know, the z- zero emissions and our big push, and we've done this on a lot of our shows with Chelsea, is this big zero uh, fatalities on the road getting, which there's oh, only, yeah. only one way, you know, zero cars on the road, yeah. because that's the big push. Um, but it seems like, to bring it back, we, this looks like where climate change and the fourth industrial revolution and NAI kind of intersect. Mm-hmm. And why then is Utah then the cradle of that? Because we're the pilot state for a lot of these nefarious agendas. We're the pilot yeah. state for a lot of the election issues. Um, so mail in voting, mail in voting, mastered here. We still have it. We're like one of the only red states to still bring choice voting, voting. Ranked choice voting. Yep. Wonderful stuff there. The, the digital ID where we've got the funny, they tried to pass that, uh, last, last year in session or maybe it was the year before and everyone showed up and, and said, Oh, hell no. And when the people came and put the pressure on the, if the legislator says, yeah, we're not going to do this. Well, guess what? Pilot program rolls out a few yeah, months later, right, and now the course. governor's got his pilot program out. So guess what? We have me, digital Jason. ID. And digital ID he is him. what you oh, need. Oh, he, him, yes. No, the governor, he, <laughs> him. And you can't have any of these really scary things like smart cities without digital ID. No, none of it works without digital ID. You have to have facial recognition tracking. You've got to have digital ID. You've got to be able to build a social credit system in so that people are able to be controlled at that granular level. And... The reasons for Utah, I think there are kind of two or three, I guess, is a better way to put it. And I'm going to disclaim before I start running my mouth that I am not a Utah expert. That's you guys. But uh, one of those is that just the nature of what's already happened in Utah. Utah is already the crossroads of America. That's what the whole point of that golden spike is, right? So you have all this transportation infrastructure that crossroads across North America in Utah, specifically actually kind of close to Ogden, so right in the area. And so you have already not just physical like transportation infrastructure, but a lot of the big servers, a lot of the big internet cables are also crossroaded here. So you have the, the digital crossroads of America as in Utah. You have massive underground servers here. So there's tons of the digital computer infrastructure already here. That's do, you, do you know what our, one of our main telecommunications companies is here? Uh, Satan.com. <laughs> You're close. You're related. <laughs> Cox. Cox's Go, biggest, so Governor probably, Cox's family has a, uh, a big internet company, one of the biggest. He him. But, he him. but uh, the other thing, too, is, is they have the, the natural resources, the minerals, That's the right. oil. I mean, the, this it, state it, is, this state actually, you're 100% right, this state matters while, on so many skit While levels. bordering Idaho, which is also loaded with, like, cobalt and all of these other things. And, and funny, the government owns almost, well, not I think a little over 70% of the land here. Oh, I do a lot. Yeah, it, Idaho as well. And so you can, this consortium of Western governors, like, wait a minute, what's going on, right? They're selling out your states is what they're doing. And that that's really the second reason, is that for whatever reason, which I don't know what that reason is, and I don't want to speculate for sure what that reason is, uh, government corruption. But we know that this is kind of warring with Vermont for the number one or number two slot of most corrupt state for whatever reason, which seems really weird given the, you know, value structured background of more of, of not Mormon, sorry, but of Utah, uh, which those overlap pretty strongly. This has been a state that has not been hard to buy politicians in for some reason. And you can see that from that corruption number that, that it, it is the number two most corrupt state in the country after Vermont right now, which that just flipped in the last telling. I guess Arizona's number three. So, the, I mean, these are not statistics to be proud of. 
So for some reason, your politicians seem to be more for sale than average, and I don't know why that is. Uh, but that's you aren't going to be able to build out the cradle of the fourth industrial revolution without making deals with the UN, without making deals with these big businesses, without making deals with the World Economic Forum. So there, there has to be that element that's present. Was it a Utah article or a national article that said for $10,000 you could buy a senator? No, that was, uh, I think, Project Veritas. Oh, wow. They figured that out. Yeah, like for they went, yes, says, Oh, yeah. They, oh, it was BlackRock. BlackRock. BlackRock on, on Project Veritas says, hey, or for was it 10000 One of those. I said for $10,000, BlackRock said you can buy, it's all it takes to buy a politician. That's crazy. And, and I think part of the problem there is... is I can afford that. I know. Let's start. <laughs> I mean, why can't we well, buy Let's them? just start buying them up. <laughs> but I think the other thing is it's like I, we have this... It goes to the culture problem uh, that we have in the state where I think we just have so many good people. See, that was the third one, yeah. just believe That's right. people are good. That's the third, the third reason ahead. I was going to give is that the population... You can only have a corruption problem to that scale that persists for long enough to do this if you have a population that's not able or willing to hold their feet to the fire. Right. Um, no accountability. So what that means is that you probably have a very trusting population, which that's a noble virtue, but a high trust society requires accountability or else it starts to get taken advantage of and fall apart. You know, a good example of that is uh, Orrin Hatch was in office for, I think, close to 40 years. Uh-huh. And I think that's a good example of, of someone who's so, so trusted, we're just going to keep sending him back. We just trust. We just trust. That guy was so deep in dark money. People have no idea who he was. Yeah. And, and that, but that's a very good reflection of Utah. We just, we trust these guys. We trust he, him. We trust, you know, even, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, John Curtis and all the money he gets from insider trading. And we don't, we know, no one wants to look at that. We just want to believe these guys are good. Yeah, and we don't want to. And that's a challenge. Yeah, and so we we all we heard um, Governor Cox, he him be upon him, actually kind of. Ca- I'm going to use this language very directly and very intentionally. Cast a spell on Utahns, which was interesting. We're going to be civil. We're going to be nice. We're we're, we're going to have a certain mode of disagreement. If you disagree, we're not going to get confrontational. We can help you, and you can help us, and we're going to have this whole kind of dialogue. He's casting this civility spell. That I do agree, people should behave professionally. People shouldn't show up and be lunatics. People shouldn't show up, of course, and be violent or anything like this. But people do need to come and say, you are doing something completely inappropriate and no more, or else we're going to, you know, we're going to make sure you're out of office. We're going to recall you. We're going to get you whatever the deal is. There's going to be accountability. And if you've committed crimes, maybe we're going to try you and, and all of that too. These are the kinds of things that people have to be willing to stand for. And it can't just be, oh, well, we need to be nice. We need to be kind. Because, again, there are two problems with, with kindness no longer being a virtue. And I actually just did a thread on Twitter this morning about how kindness as a virtue. I was in the airport flying up from Phoenix, and there was this woman going through security. I think she was a woman. No one can be sure. No I'm, I'm just. I mean, I mean, come on. Who can define a woman, anyways? I mean, in this case, well, no. Not, in this case, I'm, just, I'm legit just not sure. But... Um, <laughs> We'll say she was wearing a purple T-shirt, and it said, if you can be nothing else, be inclusive on the front. And then the back was like, queer this. I mean, literally, the word queer this, queer that, queer the other thing, like different organizations or whatever it was. I don't know what it was for, but this was a T-shirt she's wearing. And I sit standing there waiting for my luggage to come through the machine, and I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, no, you can't, if be nothing else, be inclusive, because... That's the same logic as let's just keep giving my brother, my brother is not on heroin. I'm not saying that, but imagine somebody hypothetically his brother's on heroin. Let's just keep giving him money, like keep get, cleaning up his life, get him back in the house, you know, keep him in the basement. Like 
give him give him all the chances and he's not going to get his life in order because he's not being challenged to where he's making a mistake and the, the consequences of the mistake have to be felt so he can start to clean up that's called enablement so being inclusive in one way can go or, or kind can go wrong that way the other thing is i wish it wasn't the case and like you said we just want to believe everybody's good i really miss believing everybody was yeah. good and it turns out not everybody's good and it doesn't take that many people i don't think there's that many people who are just downright you know evil or manipulative but there are some we know i mean just speaking clinically and, and, and very cleanly and clinically statistically speaking 0.8 percent of the population is literally psychopathic they don't have empathy they are by definition manipulators so that means out of every 1000 people you run into eight of them are manipulators mm, they they, right. they are not good people and what they will look for is people who are too trusting to take advantage of a lot of them are going to follow the path of least resistance so when they come and they say they come to you and you're like no i'm not i'm not i'm not into that i'm not falling for that well, that's just hard. So they're going to go to the next person and they're going to do their sales pitch with them. And it, oh, well, there's an easy mark. They're looking for the easy marks. So the people who are too trusting, who aren't like, well, let, let's hear them out. You know, let's listen. Let's let's take their take their words at face value. Words like inclusion, which we know means something different. Well, all of a sudden, there are people who are manipulators who will take advantage of that. And by the way, I said 0.8% of the general population. You know where they skew really strongly? Corporate leadership and politicians. I was about to say. There are a highly disproportionate number of them there. There are other types of manipulators too, borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorders, and so on. These are just clinical diagnoses that have a base, you know, proportion of the population that, that have them. There's a rate of the population that has these. They are manipulators. You have all the, I mean, like every woman probably in the world has read some magazine talking about how to deal with a narcissistic abusive spouse and what to do because they exist right and what do you do if you're caught in this relationship mode and you can't just keep giving in and but you it's going to be like this if you fight back and this is they're going to do the darvo and all these different things it's a well-known and documented thing well these people will take advantage of people who just want to believe everybody's good they it's like they've taken their um they've taken their defense mechanism their immune system and like turned it off and this is, here's a biblical example, right? So our story that we hear, you know, the good shepherd, right? We all hear about the good shepherd. Jesus gives the parable of the good shepherd. And so you have the good shepherd and you think, oh, he's a kindly guy. There's sheep, there's a nice thing and there's a fence and there's clouds and it's grass. And you know, you have this picture in your mind. He's the good shepherd. He's a nice guy. He's a kind guy. No, no, no. The, what, what defines a good shepherd is he's got his staff, but he's got his rod and he lays his life across the opening to the field to protect his flock. He literally, at night, to keep the predators from getting in, lays his body across the opening. And that's what it characterizes a good shepherd. He doesn't just, oh, yeah, sheep, go be happy in the field. It's not, oh, happy sheep. It's, I'm going to defend this flock with my life if I have to, to make sure. And then the parable is that you're going to do that with people spiritually. You're going to do that with them, with them you know, socially. You're going to hold them to account, and you're going to protect. It's not just being nice. It's not just having your cutesy staff, you've got a, a rod and your job is to stop wolves or coyotes or, I mean, we're in the West, like rattlesnakes are probably out here or something. Yep. I saw some in Arizona, so I know they're real. Look out. Yeah. They're just in the, <laughs> the Capitol building. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. You keep a collection of them, they're in the yeah, snake yeah. pit. <laughs> and they identify as he, him. Yes. 
Well, I got to go ahead. I got a couple of questions I want to get to, though, before we wrap up, too. Well, I, I do want to address, uh, you know, because I, I love the two things that you really stand for with with it being saving our churches and saving our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't really touched on education yet, but that's a huge thing in this state. Our state school board is, is not even I, I wouldn't even call it a reflection of the state. It's not even conservative. We have a, a handful and really mostly two people that actually really stand up for our kids, protecting yeah. our kids, forget about conservative values, just actually stand up for our kids. And uh, just this past week, we've had uh, attempts to censure one of uh, our outspoken reps. Exactly, a, a true hero. Yeah. And then also attempts to remove the vision statement of, of our school board uh, in taking out preserving our constitutional republic because it was oh. too, I don't know. Strident, <laughs> offensive. Yeah. yeah. So it seems like there is obviously multiple attacks going on. We've yeah. talked about several of them today. Well, the schools are absolutely crucial. I actually, even with all this other huge stuff going on, and Utah actually is a state where those other huge things are very important, more than, say, my home state of Tennessee. They matter in Tennessee, but not, it's not the cradle of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. They're not building the infrastructure in Tennessee. So it really matters in Utah. But education is probably literally the number one issue. It all kind of makes and breaks on education. If they end up getting the children, they get the future. If they end up not getting the children, they can they, they have a much harder job. I'm not gonna say they can't win, but they gotta force things to make it go into what they want it to be. So the education issue has been definitely subverted. Education, I, I mean, I wrote a book about that recently. It came out in January or December or something called The Marxification of Education. They have subverted the purpose of education. They came into education, they transformed it, so they use the academic material as an excuse to have political conversations with the kids. And that's the essence of how they've transformed education. So why do they do this? Well, whether it's the federal government or whether it's people making deals, there's a lot of, a lot of money involved in changing education in directions that big entities want to, want to go. UNESCO pushes virtually all of it. People say, well, what is all this crazy sex stuff going on in the schools? Oh my gosh, what's going on? It's so wrong. And it, for example, comprehensive sexuality education is kind of the umbrella term for this program. Comprehensive sexuality education, where did it come from? UNESCO, from the United Nations in 2003, they boiled this up and they came up with seven principles of what comprehensive sexuality education should include. Two of those really stand out. Uh, I mean, we could go through them. It's like, you know, disease and all that is in there. But then they have two principles. One of the seven is sexual citizenship. So they want to teach children something called sexual citizenship. It's, it's an interesting term. Yeah, well, it has to do with whether or not you can be considered a full citizen if you're having to deal with sexuality and sexual issues and all of this, and whether or not you can bring those to the fullness of your civic participation. So if you're a kinkster, for example, and you could only get to come out in public during pride parades, which should already be illegal as it is because it's public obscenity. Well, I guess we'll assume it's only one month of the year, 11 months of the year, you can't be fully you, a full sexual citizen in public. So you actually are having your rights infringed upon. So they're teaching wow. that. So how does that work for someone who has uh, uh, maps, minor attracted individuals? Well, you actually, you don't have to guess how it works. They, the same thing, they can't live their full civic uh, lives because they can't be their full sexual person in public if they are a pedophile is minor attracted pedophile is what that should stand for uh, and so it applies across the board whether it's a kink whether it's you know homosexuality whether it's uh, pedophilia and you know you can have different moral judgments about different levels within those different things but at pedophilia if you're not drawing the line something's really wrong like you're really lost 
lost the plot, but it would apply the same way. And then even more disturbingly, you think, well, what's, what could be more disturbing than that? That was principle number three out of seven. I don't remember what they all are in order. I just haven't remember three and four. Number four is pleasure. Pleasure-based sexual education. In other words... This is, this is part of the education? It is part of the educational model. It's called comprehensive sexuality education that was organized, put together at UNESCO and pushed into all of the schools in conjunction with the International Planned Parenthood Federation from the beginning. This is a gigantic, huge international project to bring not just, well, there's these diseases and these are what the organs are, which, you know, that's always been controversial as it is, especially in conservative places. Now it's, hey, by the way, did you know it's pleasurable? And here's the things and here's how you can pleasure yourself. And this is how you can pleasure others. Pleasure, and it's supposed to be pleasurable and blah, blah, blah with the kids, with kids. Why? Well, because... Why do they want to do that? What is, what's behind that? The truth? Yes. I mean, instead of their excuse, because their excuse is it's an important part of sexuality and you're d- thus limiting, blah, yeah, blah, why blah. Why do blah, they blah. want to sexualize these children? What is behind that? It psychologically damages them. That's why. It psychologically destabilizes them. If you actually look, I mentioned personality disorders earlier. Do you know how personality, many of the, not all, they're all formed in different ways. You aren't born with a personality disorder so far as I understand. It's actually a developmental disorder, what we used to call arrested development of one form or another. Inappropriate relationships with adults form most of the cluster B personality disorders that we've been discussing. Borderline is usually that you have a uh, parent who form who makes you be the uh, foil to their dramas. So you have a very overdramatic or histrionic parent who turns you into the foil. So you lose your personality, you develop borderline personality disorder. But it can also occur through inappropriate sexual relationships between an adult and a child, or even just sexual topics, or the sexualization of children. Schizoid personality disorder, which doesn't get talked about a lot, is usually from an inappropriate emotional relationship with with an adult, usually a parent. So you can imagine, for example, a, a couple, say mom dies, right? And so you got dad and daughter, and I'm not talking about any sexual relationship, but now they're we're, we're in it together, and they just form too tight of an emotional bond at eight or nine years old. So now you have this eight or nine-year-old girl carrying water for her grieving father, which is not an eight or nine-year-old girl's job, and they will develop something called schizoid personality disorder under certain conditions like that. So why sexualize the kids? Because it breaks them. That's the first thing. It destabilizes okay. them. It turns them against their families who are going to be horrified that this is happening. The libido, the sexual libido is not a force to be trifled with. So you get the kids worked up and it's supposed to be pleasurable and your parents don't want you to know this, so don't tell your parents. You've already set up an oppositional dynamic against your parents. Now the teacher is a trusted adult and the parents are possibly a threat. And so the kid comes home, says something about, hey, I learned about masturbation at school today. And you're like, what? And they're like, mom, it's a different time. You know, you're the problem. And the, if you look at California, they're literally changing the law. If you don't go along with this, they can take your kid. Actually, not just California. I think there's 13 states doing that now. California, Washington, Minnesota, and however, whichever other ones. This is a big problem. But the next thing is that it cuts off your uh, child's ability to um, attach themselves to the prevailing religious and cultural values. Mm-hmm. All that conservatism, all that you know, Mormonism and Christianity that are throughout Utah, that's all obsolete. That has the wrong view. That's homophobic. That's transphobic. It does, it's just obsolete. We don't need a book from 2,000 years ago or whatever trying to tell us how to live. That's all obsolete. And so you can cut a child off from his own healthy development, so he's psychologically and emotionally destabilized, cut him off from his family, cut him off from his religion, cut him off from his prevailing culture. And so 
almost all of the main projects of Marxism are achieved yeah, about to say in one the, stroke. About to say this the exactly, only one that's not there is private property, cutting them off from private property. Because that's exactly what Lenin and Stalin tried to do was, was, was destroy the family and, and have this the child belong to the state. The simplest Comrades. expression is what they wanted to do is abolish the family, abolish religion, and abolish private property. Those it's three so things are what they want to destroy. It's so much more sophisticated the way they're doing it here, and people can't see it. That's right, because they're, they've developed tools. We had a very robust society. We had a moral and religious people. Um, even if we didn't have you know everybody being actively religious participating, they, we had this broad acknowledgement of a civil religion. We had this American patriotism underneath that, which meshes really strongly with Mormonism. So it's particularly powerful in Utah. And they just started twisting those values and making that cringe, as the kids would say. It's cringe to, to salute the flag. It's cringe to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And they just chewed and chewed and chewed and chewed away until that started to look bad. And, and they were able to cut everything out from under, under our kids. What do you think the church's role should be in a period of time like this? Because a lot of people say, well, the church should stay out of politics. The church you know, should stay neutral. Well, what are your thoughts on that? I, I don't think that, I mean, I'm maybe not the person to speak about that, but I don't think it's biblical. So it's certainly, I mean, if there, there are lots of places in the Bible where it's pretty explicitly political, like the entire book of Deuteronomy. Um, so I don't think it's biblical. Uh, but in addition, I think that it, uh, it neuters a very important role, which is that your civic life, which doesn't necessarily have to be politics, like you don't have to go up in your church and say Spencer Cox, he, him, peace be upon him, or whatever. You don't have to talk. That that's political. You know, it's going to be this guy against that guy running for governor or whatever. You don't have to. That's politics. But the civic values, the church has every, like almost every other Bible story is about civic values, and so it's certainly something the church has a role to play in laying down the foundation for civic values. It's a huge role that they've let go because they don't want to look political. They don't want to look like they're stepping out of their their kind of very narrow little fenced-in zone that they've been given and convinced is what their role is. Um, so they have a lot of space to speak into this. Now, what is its role at a time like this besides that specific time to wake up and get real with the world, the time to get real with our kids? I actually think that things are gone far enough now where we need uh, what we would call like remediation. The church actually plays a role this way. Like, imagine, let me back up from the church and talk about family for just one second. Uh, what is the role? Why did they want to destroy family so bad? And it turns out it's the same reason, they, or almost the same reason they want to destroy faith. They want to destroy family because it's a landing pad. So if I'm getting radicalized and say, you're my parents, and I am start to, for any reason, have like the first doubt, who might I go to? You guys, right? Or if these are actual stories from Mao, from Mao's prisons where there are people who washed out and got exiled out of China because they didn't successfully get brainwashed. And the reason was that they kept remembering their mother didn't want them to go through with it. They signed up for the revolutionary school to get brainwashed, and their mother was like, don't do it, don't do it, do it. Do it. And the thought of their mom brought them back out. So family is a landing pad. If somebody's getting sucked into a cult, the family is the place that you can go to get back, get your feet back on the ground, get back to your values, get back to who you are outside of the cult that's trying to pull you away. Well, faith is the same thing. Faith is a really strong landing pad. The churches have a very powerful role that they can participate in by saying, you know, we know there's a lot of, like, you have questions. It's very obvious you have questions, right? The, everybody's, all the young people are acting like they have questions. Well, guess what? We have answers. We're not going to preach to you. We're not going to browbeat you. We're not going to beat you over the head with the Bible or Book of Mormon, but we're going to come talk to us. Come level with us. We're going to listen. 
We're going to talk to you. We're going to be real with you. And if you decide that you want to come to repentance, we'll help you find forgiveness and help you get square with yourself, help you get square with your family again, get you integrated back in with a healthy community. The church has a unique role. And I've thought and thought and thought, is there any other institution in society that can do that? And there is not. That is the unique role the church can play. It's the same role the family can play, but now writ large, uh, hundreds of people at a time or thousands as opposed to Five. You've talked about uh, the, uh, the, sh- the uh, an attack that you see coming on the uh, Christian nationalists on ch- and on churches. Yeah. T- talk to our listeners about what you see coming and why that's a concern. Yeah, well, it's a very important concern. Um, <clears throat> I think it's a setup. I think the entire movement that's calling itself Christian nationalism is a setup to neutralize independent Christianity. So what there will be is um, what I refer to as convention churches. So there's some big convention some centrally planned idea, and everybody has to get on board with that. And they're independent churches that say, well, you know, let's say it's Baptist churches, right? There's a Southern Baptist Convention as an example. Oh, we can, we're going to be a Southern Baptist Convention church, and there's we have this agreement, and that's what makes you in the convention. We're going to go to the meetings and blah, blah, blah. Or you can say, ah, we're just going to be an independent Baptist church. We're not going to be part of that, right? So those are the target. And so the idea is going to be to get people to latch onto this label. Now, the federal government already has documents and documents and documents saying, Guess what the cause of January 6th was? Yeah, this is interesting. It, the, this is, I mean, these are real documents. These are, I, I've, I've put them out on Twitter. I've done talks about them. I've read from them publicly. They have documents saying that the real cause wasn't Donald Trump. You know how much they hate Donald Trump? The real cause of January 6th was not Donald Trump. It was Christian nationalism. There were all these different groups, MAGA this and Eric Metaxas that and this and that and the other. All these different groups were there. But what you, Catholic people, and what united them? This is a Christian nation. And here it is with a Christian flag near a Confederate flag and blah, blah, you know, all this guilt by association and insinuation that they do. And so Christian nationalism was a real cause of January 6th. So then their conclusion of this report, for example, I'm thinking of a literal report given to the House Unselect Committee on January 6th, as President Trump would say it, that uh, was written by Andrew Seidel and delivered to that committee in, in the House. The, the punchline was, one, we have to have a renewed separation of, as, as he phrased it, state and church. And in particular, what we've got to do is start reining in. So this is like seriously First Amendment violation stuff. They have to start cooking up excuses that just barely can get judicially interpreted to fall within the First Amendment to start reining in, say, Christian uh, or Mormon or other religious uh people who are elected representatives. So Marjorie Taylor Greene can't go up and, you know, say, well, my faith, blah, 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 and yell in the, in the Congress anymore because that's encouraging Christian nationalism. And the second thing is that we have to investigate the causes, what's happening in our churches to make sure that we don't have another Christian nationalist revolt. And they actually conclude this report by saying our nation cannot survive we cannot have the United States of America and Christian nationalism and have the nation survive. It's going to be one or the other. And so this is literally what they're doing is accusing it of being a seditious movement and thus weaponizing the entire DHS, DOJ apparatus to be able to come down on that. So what will happen in practice? Something stupid will happen. Some guy that's claiming to be a Christian nationalist or can be labeled a Christian Red nationalist. Flag. False, yeah, false flag. Yeah, it's false flag. Well, it false might be false flag. flag. It might actually be just some dude that got mad and said something stupid or did something stupid, who is kind of literally there, uh, you know, in his, you know, in his beliefs. Doesn't really matter. All they need is an event, and then they're going to say, "Wow, churches in America are a hotbed of domestic extremism, Christian nationalism, 
white nationalism, they'll tie that right in. I guarantee you that's why the Confederate flag is mentioned on the thing. And so this is neo-Confederacy, separatism, blah, blah, blah. This is a huge problem. This is a seditious, treasonous movement. This is where domestic terrorists are being formed is in our churches. So we've got to start doing something to take care of it. And all those conventions step in and say, we'll help you. Don't worry. We'll make it real easy. If they're in the Southern Baptist Convention or whatever other convention, we'll just sign off on all the, this is what they have to agree to. So they're going to go make a deal with the Department of Justice or Department of Homeland Security. This is what all the convention churches have to sign off on. Independent churches, they can exist. They're not going to violate 1A, but it's just going to be hard and expensive. And they're going to have to get checked out. And they're going to have to let, you know, FBI agents are going to have to come by and make sure we have to do some inspections. We just got to do this. There's going to be a lot of paperwork. It's just going to be, to put it very bluntly, a royal pain in the ass to be an independent church. And at any time, go ahead, join the convention. All the paperwork's taken care of. We don't yeah, have to come visit anymore. Join the great global church. Exactly. Join the great global church. Because that's when I, I'm a very church. religious person. I believe very deeply that in, in God and, and in you know principles, that these are the last days. And one of the things it talks about is that the saints, you know, that those who believe in Christ will be persecuted. Yeah. And you and so you see this movement for the this where they're starting the DOJ is calling out this white or the Christian nationalists and it seems like it's foreshadowing what may come, yeah. and it's to me that's very concerning. Yeah, this is I think it, the whole thing is a gigantic setup, and I understand the frustration that people feel, and I understand you know um, that also that they mean a lot of different things by it. Like some people just mean we want to have a re- revival of Christian values or increase the proportion of American citizens who are also Christian believers. And I get that, but calling it Christian nationalism is not so good. If you look in that, that document, their definition is really expansive yeah. for Christian nationalism. Which I mean, they perfect. literally... Yeah, you if, pull everyone in and you want. Yeah, so like there's examples they give in the document. This is a little bit of hyperbole because I can't remember. I could f- dig it out and read something to you. It's close enough where let's, let's say that we were going to have a meal and we decide to bless the meal. And I say something like, Father, bless this food to our bodies and bless our nation that it may prosper. Amen. Oh, I've said, and especially if I said in Jesus' name or something like that in there. Now I have invoked Jesus and the nation. That's Christian nationalism. So I'm now a Christian national. And that's pastor. what the DOJ is weaponizing against. That is the expansiveness of that definition. So then yeah, when you have the guys wow. espousing this, having a vague definition that means 20 things at once, including we're going to have a, we're going to get rid of religious freedom, which means we're going to reconstitute the United States, which is sedition correctly. Uh, we're going to have a Christian prince that rules over everything. We're going to, these, you have a big problem on your hands. It's just waiting. It's a powder keg yeah. being packed. It's just waiting for them to take the most extreme examples, say that characterizes everybody who's ever given a prayer for the health of our nation in Jesus' name, and we've got to crack down on all of it. And look Powerful. at how they've acted. Look at how they've acted yeah. with parents showing up to school board meetings. If right. you think that's, if you think no, I'm talking it's, it's out of com- my ass, I mean, this stuff's coming. It's it. You, you got to be blind not to see it. That's what they. You, they, you got to have your head in the sand not they to see. They already stuff. called moms showing literally domestic moms domestic terrorists for showing up and fighting against pornographic material and masks in their kids' schools. Yeah. Any uh, final thoughts or questions? I I actually want to give the final thought to James. Because we talk a lot about heavy, heavy stuff about yeah. what's coming. Do you think there's hope? Do you think we can turn this around, whether it's yeah. the Christian nationalists or whomever will come to save us? No, the Christian well, nationalists will not save well, us. Well, the Christian, <laughs> we need to make sure that's what that, redefine, redefine that because, you know, the term Christian national sounds 
like Those me. God like I'm a Christian and I and I and I stand for and I and I love this country. Yeah. yeah. So that sounds like me, but the way their but their terminology is is that's not, you know, you can't call yourself that because according to their terminology you're a terrorist. Is that you want to transform this into a differently constituted nation which is sedition. Right. Yeah. And so nobody's coming to save us in the sense of somebody's coming to save us. I'll, let's just dispel that. But and, and I would would you include the president? Right? President can't save us either. Having the right president can help quite a bit, but no politician saving us. The, that's the best way to put it, because it, it can make it, I mean, having Biden in office isn't doing have us a king. very many favors, right? Yeah, we're not. And we don't want what's called an unbound executive. This is a right. political theory that a lot of people on the right are starting to go to. Well, if we just had, we got our guy in office, if no. Trump or DeSantis or whatever, and he would just loosen up his, his executive restraint and let him do what he has to do. He could clean out every, yeah, he could clean out I, the deep state. Bad idea. Bad idea. An unbound executive becomes a tyrant. And if it doesn't, you've now broken the apparatus. So the guy who replaces him becomes a tyrant every single time. It's not a good strategy. So no, we're not turning to politicians. This, I am extremely hopeful. And the reason I'm extremely hopeful, I said, I've been to 42 States. I go on a trip like this to visit some group somewhere, sometimes a big group, sometimes a small group, sometimes a medium sized group lots of grassroots groups. I go two or three times a week and I have for, I mean, we're talking 300 plus flights in the last two years. It's wow. insane how much I travel. Wow. And um, I see this rising everywhere because I know who's going to save this nation is people have faith in this nation. It's if, if you want to get biblical, it's like the story in the book of numbers where, where they're wandering in the desert and God's mad that they're complaining numbers 14. He's like, or 11 through 14. All you're, all you're doing is complaining. I gave him these signs. I split the red sea, you know, the whole thing. They don't, they still don't trust me that I'm going to be there to deliver him to Canaan. So he's like, you know what? I'm not giving him Canaan. They don't get to go. And he, God decides he brings his wrath. Moses is like, no, let me talk to him. You know, and I'm paraphrasing. The oh, Bible you're doing a, a great job. Bit. I think you're doing a great yeah, job. And he's like, let me talk to him. You know, let me talk to him. And God's like, go talk to him all you want. I'll tell you what, I'll forgive him if you get him straightened out a little bit, but they still don't get to go. They've, they've lost it. They've blown it. That's, that's the book. That's 11 through 14 chapters, 11 through 14 in the book of numbers, which the right title for that would be if we under it's not it's not a math book if you don't know your bible very well it's in the wilderness is what it is it's when they're they're wandering in the wilderness with moses and um we have that moment what these people are what they represented is the people who didn't have faith in what was promised to them well our nation promises us a lot and if you have faith in the promise that's behind the constitution the bill of rights the declaration of independence the founding and framing of this nation, what was hashed out and argued in the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers and so on. If you have faith in that and you have faith in this nation and the fabric of this nation and the people that make that fabric of this nation, that can get it back to its constitutional principles, those are the people who are going to save us. And I see them not by the tens, not by the hundreds, not by the thousands, by the tens of thousands wow. around this country. And as somebody who was kind of a lone voice, like screaming in the wilderness five years ago talking about this, First, my first public talk on this five, no, six years ago was July 2017 on this subject in Tucson, Arizona. And literally an old woman stood up in the middle and yelled at me. You said you were going to talk about social justice and you haven't mentioned economics once. And I was like, lady, there's identity politics. You know, I was the only, I was one of a dozen people speaking up about it. And now it's tens of th every state I go to, California, Vermont, doesn't matter. The fight is there. It doesn't matter how blue, doesn't matter Utah, how fake red it is. The fight is there. And so I think that the American people are waking up. I think they're waking up quickly. I think they are waking up their neighbors and doing so quickly. 
I think people are now feeling very much like something might be very wrong after what they tried to force with COVID. Now, oh, there's going to be climate lockdowns coming soon. Mm-hmm. And Bill Gates is like, well, during the next pandemic, he, 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 you know, which was going to start on <laughs> February 6th, you know, or whatever. And he didn't say that date, you know, a little too specific, Bill. Uh, people are like, something's badly yeah. wrong. So, and so this is starting to spread. People can see it now. People think, oh, it's too late. They doom out. So this is the last message. This is the last thought. Don't doom out. If you're a believer, you have no excuse. Yeah. You don't get to get and doubt God's timing. I'm sorry. You just don't. Your job is to read the book of Esther and understand that you are here for such time as this. You don't have a choice. However, however, even if you're not a believer, this is our time. People are seeing it faster than ever. I got asked at a, at a, at a turning point event just night before last in Arizona. Somebody, that was great, by the way. So, watched it. Yeah, somebody asked one of the questions from the audience. Somebody asked... Why, if, if blah, 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 why do we have Joe Biden, right? And it was Arizona, so Katie Hobbs. And why, why do we have to suffer these indignities in some sense? And I was sitting there, Charlie answered said some long-winded thing that was interesting and political. But I was sitting there thinking, I'm so much more relaxed because these guys are just showing the world over and over. Like, nobody believes their lies. It just, every time they lie, it's more and more obvious. We need that awakening and the awakening is being given to us. And we're over here being doomsayers about it. Are you kidding? No, it's mm-hmm. time for us to, to buckle down, to learn what our nation was founded on, learn what our states were founded on, learn our history, learn a little bit of how they think and what their agendas are, and just start having faith that if we apply those principles, then we can get these corrupt SOBs back out of office. We can get these corrupt people that are running our corporations and hold them to the proper accountability, whatever that entails, losing their positions, trials, if it were deserved, and so on. Nobody's getting, like, strung up. we got to have trials. Everything's got to be by the book because what we're trying to preserve is the book. And if we remember that and get behind it and, last but not least, get off the couch. It's no more sitting on the sidelines. Get in the game. This country is at the tipping point of a critical mass that's going to push this thing back to where it needs to be. I'm totally convinced of it. Yeah. Um, I know we're short on time, but, I, but would, would you just give one, how about this, to, to our listeners and viewers in Utah, uh, what would you, if you if, if they could you share one thing with them, what would you share with them? Sure, I should stare down yeah, the Yeah, stare, look right at them, look right at them. Listen Utah? here, Utah. Um, <laughs> No, your state is worse than you think it is. This I go around this country telling people that Utah is the fakest red state, and I mean it. I've visited a lot of red states, a lot of blue states, and a lot of purple states. The best fights in the purple ones. The blue, the fighters in the blue states are an inspiration to all of us. Should be backing them up. But these red states get very sleepy, very complacent. I'm talking Idaho. I'm talking Tennessee. I'm talking even Florida to a degree. I'm talking Oklahoma. Everybody claims they're the reddest state. Utah claims it's a red estate, and I'll tell you, you're way too asleep. It is much worse and much more important in Utah than you know. Your politicians are not doing you right, and it's time for you to start getting really clear. It's time to speak up, time to get organized, get smart, understand the issues, and and, and get off the couch and show up. And then don't get discouraged. Don't quit. They're going to come after you. They're not going to like it. They're not going to give you an inch of ground back. So don't quit. They're going to make you feel like, oh, well, I can't do anything about it. No, you've got to do something about it talking about our kids. We're talking about your grandkids. You're talking about the future of the country. You're talking about um, watching them fall into possibly permanent digital slavery, which I can't imagine anybody wanting. And Utah happens to be very unfortunately, for whatever set of reasons, the place where it's supposed to start. 
So a lot falls on you. A lot is asked of you. Uh, but I also think having met many of you now and seen what you're made of here, I think you're actually there for the challenge. Yeah. You know, the word you were talking earlier, the cradle of the fourth industrial revolution and why it's important here. I think it's exactly what you said. This is a family state. This is a state that really values those those morals and values of raising families. But we can also nurture other things. Instead of being the cradle for nefarious things, we can also nurture that spirit of, of liberty, of freedom, of faith. Yeah, I think so. Because that, that I think, is the message of, of what will save us if we can preserve those values. Yeah. Well, what a treat. Yeah, thanks James, for having honestly, me. Honestly, what, what an honest just treat. I just, I feel just, I woke up this morning and thought, how blessed am I to be able to today sit and have a conversation with, you know, Dr. James Lindsay. I mean, honestly, I just feel so blessed. And uh, I hope our listeners feel blessed to be able to have you come and, and pay attention to, I think, a state very much that matters. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I'm blessed to get invited to these these things, these states, to these conversations, to, to have the opportunity to tell people and then hear from people what's going on uh, on the ground, you know, really down in the nitty-gritty. So uh, thank you for bringing me. Well, and the last thing I share with our listeners is, you know, he, he hit the nail on the head. Um, <clears throat> this is ground zero, and I, and I believe this is a battle of light and dark. And I do not believe God sent his second string to come and fight. In, 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 in the time our country would need it most, I believe he sent, I sent, he sent some incredible warriors. And those people who are listening, I imagine that, that those would be the type of people who would be the type of people who will stand and fight this. And I know we will win. And uh, we don't need the masses. But the people watching this, um, we have a role to play. Yeah. We weren't sent here to sit in the sidelines, and we sure as hell won't. So, uh, you know, take what uh, Dr. James Lindsay has, has shared with us. Share it with your friends. Please add comments. Please like. If it gets banned on, uh, uh, I don't think this will get banned on, on YouTube. YouTube just wants to ban our stuff on China. That's what's no, crazy. No, they also want to ban our book on, or our ban on, on our show on banning, banning the, the Bible. Bible. That one got Utah. taken down. Yeah. But please share, like, subscribe. And remember, this is not time to spare. Like James said, this is our time. And we are going to, we will win this fight. So God bless you. God bless America. And God bless Utah. <laughs> <laughs>